0: We doing out there folks this is kenny vaughn your host with the most director of Breakline apex i'm so glad to be up in this arena with my brother I, this is the first time we get a chance to sit down but i feel like i know you brother i'm so glad to be sharing a, a conversation with my breakline brother rocky tuckapoo rocky how you doing today bro
1: man i'm doing great sitting here with you man uh so Uh, Once again, thanks for the honor of uh, letting me tell my story as Breakline always does. Uh, And uh, hopefully um, I'll be able to shine a light on my culture and my community and uh, we can figure out like how we can um, spread more love around the world, as they say.
0: Well, i tell you what, man, this is a special occasion uh, for those of y'all who are just tuning in. Um, We are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Uh, As I was thinking about our Breakline community, I love, look, I got to get my dude in the arena. I, I have to hear this story. I know your wife, T is on our Breakline Alumni Council. You are making huge contributions to our community. Uh, and one of the reasons that I, I just love celebrating these uh, these Heritage Months is, you realize how little we actually know about each other's cultures.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> and this is the great thing about these platforms. It's like, it's it's a great opportunity to get a peek behind the curtain and to get insight and just um, some of the amazing cultures and hear more about the amazing folks. So would love to just hear more. Maybe if you could tell our listeners where you're from, um, you know, maybe some cool stories about, you know, your hometown or where you grew up. Would love to just start there as a starting point.
1: No, no, once again, thanks. Um, Growing up, uh, I guess I would have to, I would be remiss if I were to say I wasn't uh, I didn't grow up in Tonga actually, which is a small island in the South Pacific. So for all of my veterans out there, uh, it's right next to Samoa. So um, there's uh, a Polynesian heritage there. Um, But uh, it was my parents who immigrated from Tonga back in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, I was born and raised in Oakland, California, uh, deep East Oakland to be exact. Um, And of course, um, those are things that help raise me in my uh, perspectives, if you will. Um, so just growing up as a Tongan, it was a, it was a bit difficult, I'll say. Um, so my parents didn't know any English coming to America. So I didn't know English for the first five years or of my life. And then when I entered the public school system, um, I think the administrators didn't know what to do with me. So uh, they thought I was uh, Hispanic, and they put me in ESL. See, people putting, people,
0: so, see, that's how people do People putting folks in boxes. Yes. <laughs> we was all kind of confused.
1: Yeah, so they, they were confused. And ESL at the time was only, um, the aperture was only open for uh, Spanish speakers. So uh, we had, you know, in Oakland, California, there was a huge uh, Mexican community or Latino community in general, and, of course, ESL was one of those things that transitioned a lot of folks who had immigrated there um, and tried to get them assimilated into the English language. So for me, um, it was a hard first two or three years. A lot of folks thought I was dyslexic in the public school system, but it was just I didn't know what people were talking about, right? Because it was just like you got one person who's speaking a foreign language to me, which is Spanish, and then you got the second person whenever I would go back to my normal classes speaking to me in English. So it was always one of those aspects where I was just trying to understand um, uh, what people (laughs) were trying to say to me. So there's a funny story I actually have here. So um, just playing ball and stuff with my friends growing up in the yards. We go to the park and a lot of my friends use slang. So they'd be like, what's up, dog? You know, and those are things that I took as formalities. So when I went to school... I would see the teachers and I'd be like, what's up, dog? And they'd be like, that's not how you (laughs) um, um, that's not how you um, speak here. And so it was one of those things where um, I had uh, some complexities I had to deal with, but um, I was able to shape it out uh, moving forward.
0: Well, I tell you what, I I think that's one of the cool things about hindsight is we can kind of look back on some of these experiences and and hopefully kind of take them in jest. But as you were kind of living this experience and you were growing up, what were some of those conversations like in your household? Like, you know, what, what were your parents telling you? What were some of the things that, were those conversations like growing up?
1: Oh yeah, no. Um, those conversations were, I think for my parents who came here, their goal was to survive, right? Mm. So there was never really a discussion about kind of being, um, having an opposition, I, I'll say right? So it was like, do whatever the teachers tell you. Um, just make sure you're you're not getting in any trouble, All right? So my parents um, really didn't have that, let's, you know, let's figure this out. It was just like, hey, we're just trying to fit in. You know, we just got to America um, and don't mess this up type of deal. So uh, for me, it was um, really just being amenable to the situation that was at hand. Um, but as I look back, like, with my kids, if they were put in that situation, um, I would definitely be going up to that school and knocking on some doors, um, (laughs) trying to figure it out. But I I guess from an empathy standpoint, I definitely understand where my parents were coming from, right? Um, They were immigrants. um, They were brand new to this country, didn't know the language. And like I said before, they were just trying to survive. Um, So um, those were the conversations that we were having in our house. um, And it was more of how can we fit in and not be um, I guess vocal in our opposition to certain things, and just accept whatever uh, came to, came our way. So it was a uh, uh, you definitely have to be resilient in that, uh, from that standpoint.
0: So I know that uh, I know that you're a father. I know that you're a husband. Um, your wife T is also a brake liner. So yes. shout out to the Tuckapoo family for holding yeah. down the brake line community. Um, you know, Ooh. one of the things that I'm realizing as a as a parent as well is. The deeper appreciation that I have for the decisions that my parents made that have put me in the position that I've that I'm able to be in now. And I think sometimes it takes having children to realize the sacrifices that our parents make. Um, Do your parents talk much about that time? You know, they talk about what it was that made them, you know, make this voyage and venture off to a to a new land. Is that a conversation that you guys reflect on now? And, um, you know, would love to hear more about that.
1: No, definitely. That is definitely something that my um, parents have started to be more open about. And um, I'll speak about it anecdotally, of course, Um, but my parents are very conservative, very quiet, you know, God fearing um, and very religious. Um, So one of the things that they would always say, you know, is just like, you know, God doesn't put on your plate, you know, what you can't handle. Um so that was just their approach to life, you know, it was just like hey if it comes our way, let's just handle it. Um one of the negative aspects I'll say to that is we just never talked about stuff, you know, mm-hmm. we never did feedbacks, you know like if I stepped out of line, uh and my father disciplined me, you know, there was never a feedback loop, right? <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. like you went about your way. Um and I think that was just part of the culture at the time. Um what I'm starting to see now, especially with like the younger generations of Pacific Islanders, is they're starting to express themselves more right um and especially for us growing up in oakland california um you you were definitely going to express yourself if something went that oh way. yeah for, for <laughs> those, for those yeah, of y'all yeah. who haven't been to oakland
0: oakland exactly. is, a, is a very expressive kind of place you know it's uh <laughs> there's a whole lot of culture going on in oakland exactly. california
1: if you if you don't know your history so just yeah, don't leave it no, at that. Definitely. definitely and that was one of the things uh, uh as, as, a, as a kid growing up who got to take advantage of things like free breakfast because of the Black Panthers and understanding the history uh, behind that. It was one of those things where I always lived in between multiple worlds, as I say, you know. Um, Just growing up with my friends and the culture they brought in. And I'm not only talking about, you know, people like we lived in a predominantly Black and Hispanic area, um, but there was also other diverse cultures there uh, as well. It's like there was a huge Filipino community starting to um, come through. Um, There was also segments of the Latino population coming through, like, you know, friends from Guatemala, Honduras. Um, So it was really trying to figure out, like, how can I express my culture? You know, like sharing food, sharing stories, finding a lot of commonalities, too, right? Like we were all family oriented uh, in one way or another. And then, of course, trying to deal with certain um, issues that were around us, right? Like I'm not going to paint a beautiful picture of Oakland, California. We had our realities, right? Um, gangs, um, drugs, things like that. Um, But one of the things that I I always look back on, and it's primarily um, around my family, was I was fortunate to have a culture um, that provided enough structure where I may have not been the best kid, but I had enough um, to realize that, hey, these things are wrong. And uh, I have a family support system for me to, to, to bounce back once I started to realize those things. And We can probably chat about that more as I go into my transition from going into gangs and whatnot. um, And then, of course, joining the military at some point in time. So,
0: you know, what's what's so interesting about all this is I think even in just listening to your story, you start to see the commonalities in all of our different cultures, right? I'm just thinking about this feedback loop that you're talking about. And, you know, I I could just speak for my household. I mean, it's it's very similar. It's like sometimes you get the feedback loop, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just got to take the L and realize that, hey, man, like, mom and dad know best, and you ain't gonna question that. (laughs) So, no, so it's just, it's interesting seeing just the intersectionality that exists among the different cultures. And I think particularly with you moving to Oakland and just seeing what a melting pot it was for you there, would love to hear more about just your high school experience. I know that you ended up transitioning into the Air Force. What was like the genesis of of that decision?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, for me, um, high school was not really a major factor in my life in the beginning because I just didn't understand the value of education, right? Um, I think as a culture, um, we were just trying to survive. So for example, my mom was um a waitress um and started to climb her way up into admin aspects in the restaurant business, um, specifically host in the airport. And then of course my father worked two jobs as a freight um, loader and then um, as a taxidermist cleaning up a uh, dead animal for um, both of them were, were just good enough to keep the lights on sometimes and then p- keep food on the table. Um, so for me, I just looked at life as like, OK, this I just got to do this so I won't get arrested. And at some point in time, I'm just going to get a job. Um, got really deep into to just the streets, if you will. Um, and I think there was an episode where my mom realized that I was just going down a negative path and she actually moved me out to Hawaii to stay with her brother. Um, a large aspect of that too was because my parents just didn't have any time, right? They were work, both working two jobs. Um, there was no real adult presence in our household. So um, I, I guess it just gave me a free pass to, to, to be on the streets and um, figure out how I was going to maneuver through that. Um, Fortunately, my uncle, um, and this is part of our culture as well, um, took me in and said, hey, you know, um, there are certain aspects that I want you to see out of life. And uh, he gave me a lot of work ethic that helped me to transition into the military and, of course, get exposed to things that I had never been exposed to um, if I didn't join the military.
0: So can you share a little bit more? Because I'm picking up on a couple of themes just in terms of the tight knit, um, you know the tight knit family, the tight knit relationships that extend out to the extended family. Can you share a little bit, a little bit more about how that has manifested in your life? Like some memories that come to mind, and in, in yes. terms of family being there for each other.
1: Yes, no doubt. I mean, with the uh, Tongan community, it's kind of unique in a way where it's very matriarchal. So the society or the community itself is very matriarchal. So like the women typically make decisions, uh, the women are held in certain regards um, who are cultural traditions. So for example, we do a lot of dances, like cultural dances in order to represent our families in um, certain milestones of your life. Like when you're getting married, you're graduating school, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then of course, during those things, you're giving out tithes, right? Tithes to ensure that like, hey, Um, as our representation from our family to yours, we're gonna um, give you um, this, um, whether a resource, whether it be money, back in the islands, it was like food, um, um, like working on their yards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And those are typically distributed to the head of the household, who's usually the matriarch. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was something that I just thought was natural. And then uh, of course, as I started assimilating to the uh, american culture and just other like,
0: what the world going on over here
1: yeah <laughs> yeah to see like it was more patriarchal than matriarchal right so um with that being said like my mom once she made the choice it was kind of one of those things where um my uncle whether he wants to admit it or not he had to take me in right so it was uh and that was one of the unique aspects of our culture is just like you just you just take her for her word and you trust that She's going to put you in a position where um, she's going to make our family better, right? So as the head of our family, um, if this is going to be a a some plus, if you will, at the end of the day, then we're going to rock with it, and we're just going to see how it lands. So um, my uncle just followed the rules of the game, uh, and then that's how I ended up with him. Um, But I don't know. There were points in time where I'm just, I'm pretty sure he questioned that decision. He was like, man, I got to deal with this knucklehead. Um, So uh thankful that he took that uh on and um, um as always I'm, I'm grateful to him and his family
0: i feel like the world may be a better place if we had more matriarchal societies you know, more more <laughs> oh, yeah. cultures man. He, he, the lady the ladies know what's going on man the yeah. fellas you know we're a little slow on the uptake sometimes <laughs> so I feel, I feel like we gotta suck soak up some of that motherly wisdom you know
1: no doubt no doubt
0: um so one more piece that i wanted to ask you just from a cultural perspective before we dive into some of your career and navigating different spaces is—I would love to hear more. Now I know I know you go by Rocky, yeah. but I would love to hear more about like you know your, the significance of names, the significance yes. of some of the the traditions that you have. If you could unpack that a little bit more, man, I'd love to hear more about it.
1: Yeah, most definitely. No, I mean, um, so back to matriarchal societies. Um, typically, the firstborn, which I am. Um, is named by the father's eldest sister. So, and typically what they'll do is, so they have governance over what the name will be. Um, I don't know if my mom agreed with that. <laughs> so you said the auntie, your auntie is going to pick your... The... Yes, exactly. Okay, okay, So my eldest son was named by my eldest sister, right? And once again, being in a biracial marriage, which I never really thought about until you know the cultural effects hit, um, uh, I'm fortunate that T was able to understand and respect that aspect of yeah. it because um, she had some names lined up. <laughs> so um, so the fact that she was able to be amenable to that situation, I'm very thankful for. But yes, uh, with names itself, uh, typically it, it, the eldest sister of the father will name the child. Um, that's just how our culture uh, lands. And it's a sign of respect, you know to the uh, eldest female who would technically be the matriarchal lead of the family. Um, and it's, it, that's kind of like a show of respect, like, hey, um, I want to give my firstborn's name uh, to you. Um, and then the names itself, they the way Tongans look at it is if they name you after a certain person, which I'm named after uh, my grandpa, they're hoping that you take on the characteristics of that person. Right. So you'll hear that a lot. Um like, oh, like my youngest son, for example. He's named after um uh, my um his grandfather on T side, and of course my youngest brother. Uh um so it's uh Biliami Solomon, William, and then of course Solomon is uh, named after King Solomon. Um and those aspects, like wisdom from King Solomon, certain aspects from Uh, his grandfather like being very um, wise as well um, um, those are characteristics that you know they'll always highlight like oh he's he reflects he's just like his namesake you know stuff like that so we really take that to heart Um, so naming convention is very important in the tongan community and it's something that we take near and dear and typically it's given to the person with the highest honor which is always the eldest female in the uh, family
0: okay and just one more time for clarification, can you let our listeners know your full name?
1: Yes, it's uh, Titako Holy Takapu. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the military, you know how it is, Kendrick. They call you by your last name. <laughs> so it was a struggle uh, to the point where, you know, people just gave up and said, all right, we're just going to name you Tak, and we'll keep it moving from there. So. <laughs> Uh, I, I haven't heard that nickname in a long time, um, but yeah, I used to go by TAC because no one can pronounce my last name for whatever reason. So it it is what it is.
0: Well, I tell you what, man, it's that that name sounds like you' about to go take care of some business. So <laughs> I, pre, I you know, I may have to I may have to re listen because you know now that I know I don't know if Rocky's gonna do the trick, man. I right. may have to go with the full deal. <laughs> So speaking of the military service, uh, so you were a, a network warfare planner, is that yep. correct? That yep. sounds intense. I feel like you gotta share some more about this experience and and, and just what it, what it brought to you.
1: It was actually on a whim when I joined the military. Um, so, I, and this is another note, I literally went to the recruiting office and waited at the army's door um, because, you know, like, the only thing that I the, the army back in the late, early 2000s, mid 2000s, they had a great marketing strategy. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, if you want to join the military, I didn't know there were different services. So I just went and waited by the door. Um, so they weren't open at the time. A U.S. Air Force recruiter saw me standing out there. He peeped out and he was like, hey, you want to join the military? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a military place right now. He's like, oh, no, no. We're, we're the military as well. We're, we're a subset of it. So he invited me in, gave me a rundown on the Air Force. Um, I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, make sure you take the ASVAB. And I was like, I, I, what is the ASVAB? He was like, oh, we'll, we'll take a test. So mind you, at this point in time, um, um, I don't think I was like on the verge of dropping out of high school. I think I had like a 0.5 grade point average Um um, I really now, was, this, have, was
0: this in Hawaii or was this
1: in? Yeah, this was in Hawaii. The, yeah, okay. like, so um, you're still with I mean, your
0: uncle and now you're in Hawaii. And yeah, I was just like, he uh, hey, I might need to make this change.
1: <laughs> yeah, I got to make this change. You know, um, so at that point in time, I, I took the ASVAB, didn't do well on the reading portion. However, on the math portion, I did outstanding. So um, at least uh, from the recruiter's perspective, I think I scored high 80s, low 90s. Um, and it gave me an opportunity kind of just to like realize like, Hey, this is a real opportunity. So I took that of course. And then I, I went back to school. I had to make up a, an actual grade. Um, so I had to do the, my junior year all over again, cause I was that far behind. Uh, and of course I was taking California credits over to Hawaii. And of course, um, was able to catch up and then of course graduate on time. And then from there, I was able to join the military. Um, and that gave me um, a ton of confidence just coming in. Um, the military is definitely for a set of uh, unique people, (laughs) but I would say (laughs) that it is the perfect snapshot of America. Um, Mm. and by perfect, I mean totally imperfect. Right. Um, there is just a lot of perspectives that I never thought I'd see. Um, and those are things that I, I really loved. Um, because like I met people from New York, from Iowa, you know, from Minnesota all the way down to Texas and and Alabama. And they all had different perspectives. And even from those subsets, they had their own point of view. Um, And then on the second side or or second to that was just opportunities. Um, I had no idea what an engineer was um, until T, um, who I worked with at the time, and um, she's now my wife, um, she told me, hey, like, you really love math. And this is very math intensive. Um, you should probably think about being an engineer. And my response to her was like, "Why would I want to be a train conductor?" And she was like, "No, <laughs> like no, I don't think that's." She's like, oh, "She was like, I don't think that's what they only do." So she introduced me to a whole new um, spectrum of possibilities uh, that I didn't know existed. Right. So I started using. Um, 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 when I was in the military, at least they had uh, opportunities for you to go to school. Um, and then tuition assistance programs. That's what I was trying to think. And they would pay for your school um, without having to touch your GI bill. And uh, during that time, I started just working on my prereqs, taking pre-algebra. I had to start like literally from the bottom, bottom and and from the math portion. Like I was taking like clapping out of math one, math two, um, where you didn't even get credit for it. You needed that as a requisite to get into like pre-algebra and then started taking pre-algebra, started working through the calculuses Um, And then, of course, course, starting getting introduced to physics. And then um, after that, I just knew, like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to be an electrical or a computer engineer. Um, So the military, I have to give the most credit to when it comes to education, because they not only gave me the opportunity to see that perspective, but they also gave me the opportunity from a financial perspective. Um, So the GI Bill, I don't think I would have been able to go to school full time. Or three years focusing on my undergraduate and graduate degrees, um, if it wasn't for the military, giving us that GI bill benefit
0: This is why I love sharing these stories because as a fellow veteran, I think sometimes um, folks have such a limited insight into military service, yeah. um, you know the benefits that it provides not only us as individuals but for our families
1: yes. and
0: and when you start talking about things like generational wealth. Uh, when you talk about things like upward mobility, um, the military has just been such a great vehicle not only to serve our nation, but 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 also to better our station in life. Yep. And um, I'm a little frustrated with my army recruiters out there right now because I'm like, man, we do not miss out some good talent out here. You know, the brother got to make sure you put the lunch sign up or something because we missing some talent.
1: I <laughs> I, I uh, got to give the Air Force props. It, it was probably the best for me from a culture standpoint, just being, being, knowing how I am, and just. Um, uh, uh, I, I think I would have done well in the Army, and shout out to my Army brothers, uh, soldiers, brothers, and sisters out there. But I do think I made the right choice, at least for for me, with the Air Force.
0: So now we're in a position where you know, you've, you've found your partner, she is breathing life into this vision for yourself. She's saying, hey, I think you should pursue these things. You start to get this pretty technical background. You, you yeah. have some very technical experience and expertise. Can you share a little bit more about your journey post-military?
1: Yes, definitely. And this is definitely something that I hope all Pacific Islanders hear from a, um, transitioning from just like, where do I go from here? Um, Because I think as a Pacific Islander, I was definitely inclined um, just from the culture and what we did, what we've done, you know, historically, um, to love math and of course STEM generally. Um, After the military, I um, actually was awarded the Science and Mathematics Research Transformation Scholarship to pursue um, uh, my graduate degree. So that actually binded me to the DoD once again, (laughs) but this time as a civilian engineer. Um, And most of my research was focused on um, just uh, electrical signals, um, RF emanation around security, uh, more specifically like cryptographic modules and how they um, existed in systems that we would plan to export to foreign uh, nations that were friendlies. Um, So most of my focus was there and I think one of the things that I loved about the SMART Fellowship was that it gave me an opportunity to give back to the DOD in a different aspect. So we were working with like, you know, seamen, other airmen, uh, soldiers, just trying to make better equipment that they can leverage uh, for their daily use um, and pretty much uh, make them more efficient. Um, so those are the things that I'm I'm happy to say uh, that I was a part of. But yeah, that, that was uh, one of the aspects of um, joining the military. I think that being a military veteran and having that experience as well uh, gave me a leg up on um, other competitors who were also trying to apply for further scholarship. Um, but, yeah, I think that was one of the highlights of my career as a civilian, government civilian. Um, of course, I, I got an inkling that I wanted to kind of figure, look at scale, things that scale more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't ready for something like a, a Facebook, if you will, or, or, or Google at the time. So I, I took the bridge, if you will, which was working at a research lab called Draper. Um, it used to be part of MIT um, as an instrumentation lab named after Charles Stark Draper. Um, but um, they vested uh, in the 70s. And that was probably one of the points in my career where I had uh, a great manager or a great leader, uh, Sarah Leeper. Like I, I, To this point, I, I want to flag that I would never really had, as an engineer, a, a leader who was a female. So having a female as an engineering lead and just seeing the breadth of experience she had from business to operations to the technical side, and then the amount of depth she had in each space, um, and then just seeing, like, hearing and then being able to commiserate with her because as an underrepresented uh, minority herself, she had stories of like where she had to claw and fight her way into certain positions uh, specifically as a, a vp of uh, one of the top research labs in the country so seeing that as an example and then having her as my mentor and really pushing me to understand different aspects of the business outside of engineering and technical work um, really gave me the confidence i needed to go to other places like a Facebook or uh, where I'm at right now, which is Stripe. So um, I'm really thankful for her. Uh, And then back to your point about just diversity, um, being able to see that and then having her as an example gave me confidence. And this is, I'm not even a woman, right? Um, But as an underrepresented minority and seeing like the trials and tribulations she had to go through, uh, it gave me the confidence to to push through um, any obstacles that was in my path.
0: So I'm, I'm glad that you that you share that experience. Because one of the things that I'd love to hear more about is, is the pivot into the tech industry. And I know you mentioned one in the working areas of scale, um, had a chance to work at Facebook, could you just share more about, you know, how you made that pivot? Um, you know, the the impact that you know, Breakline potentially had on that experience. And then, if we could bring it all the way around and, and share what your experience has been as a Pacific Islander in the tech industry.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, to begin with the pivot, there really isn't a pivot in my opinion without Breakline. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I think Breakline was that true catalyst um, for me to a have the confidence. To join tech and then B refactor a lot of my resume to kind of align with the signals that tech was looking for, um, because if you had seen my resume before uh, Lauren fall got to it, and then, of course, um, Casey um, in our discussions and then, of course, Alexandra with our storytelling like it was. I'm not gonna lie; it was trash, <laughs> right? Like it just didn't align with just, what yeah, they were looking for. It was a like paint polish. Paint. You
0: need a little oh. polish, yeah. The 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 foundation was there; just need a little yeah.
1: polish. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, this was before you got there, Kendrick. Um, I wish I got to just go through when you were there, but you're here now, so that's great. Um, but yeah, at the time, like I just didn't know any of the like. I don't have any family members in tech at that time. I didn't have I didn't know any other Pacific Islanders in tech at that time, um, and I didn't know any of my extended network in that uh, community at that time. Um, So they really gave me the download on like, hey, this is how you want to present yourself. Um, Don't wear a suit and tie in an interview and don't be too stiff. This is how you want to approach it, right? Um, Be presentable, but like like you're not applying for a government role. also, like, be able to match the nomenclature your, um, uh, from your experience to what they're looking for. So for example, mm-hmm. I was using terms like um, managed, program managed, um, um, this aspect for an admiral, right? And they would flip that and say, OK, you, you can definitely leverage the program management aspect of it, but I, I call it out as an executive because that's technically what a flag officer would be. Um, in, uh, or a senior officer would be in the military. And I was like, oh, yeah. So they really gave me the insights. And of course, they, start, they even broke it down all the way to negotiations, right? Like, hey, you're going to be offered this. A, you got to make sure it, it, it's amenable to what you're looking for. But then B, if it's not, here's how you want to approach it, right? Um, so they gave me a bunch of levers and buttons that I can push in order to figure out um, how I can get the compensation that I was, felt was fair for me and my family. Um, and of course those, uh, sessions were amazing. And then another thing they did too, was like, I had multiple offers, so they gave me a great funnel. And then once I got those offers, they actually sat down with me, Bethany sat down with me and she said like, what's right for you and your family. It wasn't an aspect of like, Hey, is the compensation, um, what you're looking for? Like is the most money, her factor and her driving factor was, is it right for your family? Right. Mm. Is the location right? you feel like this company fits for you? Or are you gonna get what you're seeking for out of this? And I really respected that. And I, to this day, I remember that conversation. Um, and then ultimately uh, what, it was able, uh, what I was able to gather from Breakline as I transitioned into Facebook was just the Breakline community, right? So once I joined my team at Facebook, there was like six Breakliners already there. And then of course, out beyond Facebook or beyond my, my, my uh, group at Facebook, there was like probably 70 breakliners at the time that I I, I, I knew um, at, um, that was at Facebook. And even as I started my job search internally at Facebook, um, I got a lot of help from former breakliners who were in other organizations. Um, so that was amazing. And then um, just discussing like, um, um, just how I wanted to move forward, um, they, they gave me insights on like hey take a look at this company i know this individual at that company who's also a former liner, or who was presenting at this breakline presentation so it just the the amount of dividends that i've gotten from breakline <laughs> has been not only immense but i think if i were to be um if i if i could live forever if you will i think those dividends would be infinite. because i it just continues to grow and grow and compound every day because there isn't a day where I don't meet a brake liner or someone who's associated with brake line, whether it's at Twitter, whether it's at my current company Stripe, when I onboarded, there was another individual who was also a former brake liner. Um, And he was like, hey, uh, you look familiar. And I was like, hey, you look familiar too. And he was like, yeah, I was in uh, the brake line class, like uh, two classes before you when we were in person. So Um, Those are the things that um, Breakline has not only done for me, um, but has done for my family too, which is why I pressured T to go into the Mavens program when that opened up and she had the same experience as me. And ever since then, we've been just trying to um, push other viable candidates who are great and have great backgrounds. Um, It's just they're not aware of the opportunities that are there. And I think what Breakline does extremely well is highlight those opportunities and then align those opportunities with those folks strength so yeah
0: well i I tell you what it means a lot to hear you say that because i think as i think about the break line community you know i had a mentor of mine share that the value of your network is is what you're willing to invest into it so as i think about folks like yourself like your wife t who have poured so much into our breakline community i know your wife t is on our break line alumni council and you all have done a tremendous amount of work to shape um, our community uh, even to shape my specific role as the director of apex i know there was a lot of thought and a lot of wisdom that was poured into how we intentionally shape this this new vertical and how we shape an experience for the next generation of breakliners that are coming through and make it even better for them. So I just wanna thank both of y'all because you all have been invaluable members um, in terms of helping us kind of shepherd in this next generation. So I'd be remiss if I didn't pause and and say that. One last thing that I would love to ask you about is as you are navigating these spaces, um, how have you been able to continue to build community within the Pacific Islander um, network. Um, I know, you know, it's like you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, it's a little bit of a smaller network, but I would just love to hear how you've been able to build um, and help influence and shape experiences for within your community.
1: No, definitely. I think there's definitely an ecosystem that we have to uh, think about here. and it starts with those who are young, right? So my sister has a nonprofit called PiFest. It's Pacific Islanders uh, Empowering for um, Engineering, Science, and Technology. Um, and one of her goals are to just introduce Polynesians or, or more specifically South Pacific Islanders to tech because um, a lot of folks in that community aren't aware um, that are, there are great opportunities there. So her goal is to give people that toolbox, or just start them really young, and then of course, as as they start to go through that timeline, if you will, one of the goals is to just sit down and mentor other young Polynesians or Pacific Islanders um, about you know how they can advance in tech if they're already in tech, and then of course how they can um, I guess increase their opportunities um, to land a position in tech. So. Um, I've been following up with folks, um, who are, don't have certain credentials on their resume that would signal certain things. So they need to go back and kind of acquire certain tools. And there's other programs like Europe where, uh, and Facebook sponsors this as well for a lot of underrepresented communities. Um, at least from what I've uh, learned in the Bay area, I pushed my cousin through there because, um. I was like, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to get an internship at uh, Facebook to some extent. And then, of course, build your toolbox. Um, and then, of course, uh, with Breakline as well, what I've tried to do, and I'm trying to figure out like how I can find more folks in the Pacific Islander community to get more of those tools so I can transition them into Breakline and then have you all um, try to find great opportunities that align with their strength. Um, but other than that, I mean, even outside of the Pacific Islander community, I've been trying to push like friends who um, like it once once again, they have great resumes, um, they have the skills and talent. It's just, they don't know where to start. And I think Breakline gives them, I guess that roadmap um, to present themselves well and align with strengths of the company.
0: So I I never cease to be impressed by the Tuckapoo family, because, like well, I said, I mean, it's, you're, you're raising kids, you're navigating ambiguity, and just like, we've got this whole, we got a pandemic going on, but still, there's this emphasis on opening the door even wider for the next generation to come behind us, and I think that's so important, especially as we talk about underserved communities, um, all of which break line serve, right? as we talk about the veterans community, the women's community, people of color, these are all communities that have been underserved, underselected, um, marginalized. And it's so important once we enter these spaces to be able to um, make sure that we don't close the door and lock it behind us when we get in, but we open it even wider for those to come behind us.
1: Yes, I think I gotta give credit there to my wife, T, um, because she was the real catalyst for me thinking this way on opening the door and making sure I'm inviting more people in uh, more deliberately. Um, She started a a, a STEM education company called Club Lab Rascals, um, which we call Lab Rascals. And she has been killing it there um, with just ensuring that people of color get to see other people in STEM professions um, who look like them. And are able to have conversations with them and just say like, hey, there's someone who looks like me, um, who works in a profession that I never thought about before um, that now I'm interested in as a five or six year old. Let me start building my toolbox in order to ensure that I can work in that field. So all credit is to her on that space because like her being from Detroit and just seeing like, hey, we have a gap here, there's a STEM desert here, and then expanding it to like here in PG County, Maryland, you know, uh, Basketball County is what we love to call it. Home occasion. Shout out PG.
0: <laughs> Shout out to PG County. Okay, Shout I see. Ripping, the, ripping um, the whole
1: DMV. I see you. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. So I mean, we're proud residents. So just being able, her, seeing her being able to grow that, um, just inspires me. And I think she was inspired um, by Bethany and the work y'all have done um, at um, Breakline, and especially with all the verticals. So. Uh, really want to kind of turn this around and say thank you uh, and everyone at Breakline for the amazing work y'all have done and just giving us, my family, um, the opportunity not only to survive and grow, but thrive. And that's where we're at right now. We're trying to thrive uh, and hope uh, that we can expand that to our communities. So thank you. Do you mind if
0: we unpack one last topic before we, uh, sure. we part ways? Okay. Yes, sir so i i am particularly interested to hear your thoughts um on this topic i know that you shared that you're you know coming from a biracial marriage your wife identifies as african-american mm-hmm. if i'm correct and these have been some challenging times in this country yeah these have been some challenging times we've we're dealing with the global pandemic we're dealing with Um, racial unrest and reckoning and all kind of challenges there's been these huge spikes um, in, in just these significant emotional events Yes. and I am a believer that a lot of these tragedies that we see stem from not having a deep understanding and appreciation for the humanity of those around us Right, So would you be able to share more about the conversations that have taken place in the Tuckapoo house as you're talking to your spouse, as you're talking to your kids? And we're trying to figure out how to move forward in a productive way, how to um, shed light on these challenges, how to be a positive voice in the midst of what can seem like a lot of negativity sometimes. Would you mind yes. just sharing that for our listeners?
1: No, it's um, definitely tough. <laughs> um, even without the pandemic, just us navigating as a, a biracial couple to some extent. Um, hasn't been as tough as other stories, I would say, but it's definitely had its difficulties in some senses. Um, but um, to add the complexities of everything that's gone over the past year has, has made it much more difficult. Um, one of the things that we try to do, just as a couple, is just understand, you know, where the other person is come, coming from, from, from with um, like deep empathy. Um, one thing that allows me to kind of like connect with her on certain discussions is having grown up in Oakland, California, and the history that's there. Um, but I do think, to your point, I think what I try to do, and this is just from my perspective, is I try to listen, and it's hard because you're always going to default to your uh, basic human behaviors, um, uh, is to hear or listen without being defensive. Um, so we had very difficult discussions. And of course, for T, there's certain instances where, you know, she's watching the news and her day will not be as good <laughs> as it would be if she hadn't seen certain things. So it's just tough. Um, but at the same point in time, what we try to do is remember that there are good people out there. Um, we just have to keep progressing certain um, um, actions. So, so, for example, what you guys are doing with Apex, that's why T is always energized whenever she's talking to you. She's like, yeah, I just talked to Kendrick. I love the fact that they're going in this direction. There's more participation increasing um, quarter over quarter in some cases. So those are the things that she tries to focus on is the positives while understanding that there are negatives that are surrounding us and then just being able to control our actions um, around that. But to be honest, what I've been trying to do is just support her as best as I can try to listen um, and then try to understand like, how can we, Um, make changes, whether it be small or big in our community. So for example, um, last year, um, we live in a predominantly Black community here in PG County, um, and we never had a true like Juneteenth celebration. So we did a Juneteenth walk around our neighborhood, and it was a bit more difficult due to the pandemic. So we had to provide a lot of bleach. (laughs) We had to make sure that, um, you know, we were um, uh, social distancing at that point in time. And we were doing it on, we were walking around our neighborhood uh, with our signs, with other kids, with other uh, other people from different communities. Um, And we were able to have honest discussions on the changes that we wanted to see, not only in our community, hopefully in America. So that was just a good way for us to get things off our our chest, if you will. Um, But yeah, I think there needs to be more of that um And that's something as a family, we try to navigate through on a daily monthly and even yearly basis.
0: Hmm. and And what I'm taking away from this is just the power of active listening to build deep empathy right mm-hmm. listening without a, listening without having to formulate a response, just listening and being there as a sounding board so deeply important during these times. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm gonna need a vacation after all this. So when, so when I make this, when I make this trip over to Tonga, man, what, what we gonna yeah. do for the week while I'm out there, man? Can you can you tell me what we gonna do? Like, what what's the spots we gonna hit up? Like, what do I need to eat? Like, what's yes. what's gonna happen? Cause I'm gonna take you. You didn't offer, but I'm gonna take you up on your offer anyway. Yeah, no doubt. No
1: doubt. <laughs> you <to> offer now. <laughs> No doubt. Well, I mean, what okay. are we
0: gonna do? What are we gonna do when we get out there?
1: We're we're gonna do a lot of things. Like um, so essentially we'll go eat something called loo. Lu okay. is uh one of our national dishes. It's pretty much, I want to say taro leaves, and of course there's always like a meat in there, whether it be fish, uh, sheep, or lamb or um um uh, chicken, and then of course it's a, a it's a nice concoction of like coconut milk, and then of course other. Uh, herbs and spices that they then roast in the ground, which was what we call umu. So we dig a hole in the ground, uh, surround it with lava rocks, uh, put banana leaves on top, and then just let it smoke right, uh, for a few hours or, or half a day in some cases overnight. So we'll do that. Uh, We'll probably hit up the beaches because you're never going to see as beautiful beaches uh, because they're pretty much untouched. (laughs) So very natural, untouched and of course, hopefully uh, if we go in June to August, the blue whales come through there because of the warm waters. So maybe we can get some swimming in and then of course, uh, at night we can always go watch the uh, cultural dances that are always around Um, and just have a good time, you know, spend time with family, introduce you to my thousand cousins. Uh, <laughs> 3,
0: well, you, you, you know, you know, I was gonna ask because like, it's gonna be a family trip now. But yeah. when we get to the grown folks' time in the evening time, we can have some grown folks' conversations yes, and stuff definitely. too. So just make sure we <laughs> cover all the bases. Most <laughs> well, I tell you what, man, in all honesty, brother, I appreciate you. Same. I do, man, I do. um not, not just for hopping on and sharing your story with our listeners, but just on a personal level, man. I, I understand that we stand on the shoulders of the folks that came before us. Yeah. And I know this, this community is a new community. Um, we, are, we are small but mighty and growing by the day. Um, but, but literally, um, it's because of folks like yourself, folks like your wife, T, who have invested so much in our Breakline family who continue to invest in our community that we're able to do the things that we do um thanks for peeling back the curtain on your culture and just giving us some additional insight and uh yeah man i'm just excited for y'all man i I cannot wait to see what the next chapter holds in store for the tuckapoo family because i know it's going to be bright And uh, in all seriousness, man, you you may have to start blocking off some reservations, man, because I think you're going to have some visitors after this here uh, podcast drop to come (laughs) check you out. So you got to start taking reservations now.
1: (laughs) Most definitely. uh, Once again, just thanks for just always being real. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I think those are the things that I I love about you, Kendrick. And of course, that's a true reflection of what Breakline Community is. Like, I don't think I've ever had a conversation where you guys are not giving us the real deal, right? So really appreciate that. And um, uh, thank you again, I, I'm at a loss for what right now. So I appreciate you.
0: Well, all right, folks, you done heard it here first in the Breakline Arena. We appreciate you tuning in. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and hit that like, that subscribe. If you really was feeling the vibe, go on and leave us a review so we can expand the audience. And more importantly, Share these impactful stories with our community. So, thank you so much once again, Rocky, for all of our listeners. We will do it all again next Tuesday. And thank you once again for your time. We are signing out from the Breakline HQ. Wishing y'all all a blessed day.